Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really good. Move, get out of there. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host... Patrick. Hey, my friend. Hello. And today, we are here to talk about the new, the latest book, 40 Years, 40 Artists, um, which is a, essentially a celebration of the, the legacy of artwork uh, in the alien community, and we are joined by Tristan Jones. Hello. Manhattan. <laughs> Manhattan. Hey. And Dane Hallett. Thanks, guys, for joining Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, you know, familiar with you guys. I know Tristan, we've connected before uh, a few years ago, but this is the first time you've been on our show. Um, but yep. I'm curious, some of the first questions that I have before we get into the book is how you got here. Like how, because now all of you have a following people in terms of the comics Tristan's the man everyone turns to when everyone talks about the comics or the art. <laughs> who should be who should be drawing? It's you. And then in terms of the films and the legacy of H.R. Giger, it's Dane and Matt. Uh, so yeah. that's really who people are talking about. So I want to start with you, Tristan, and find out how did you end up where you are in, in terms of drawing or creating work for Alien Comics? Uh, that's... Uh, an interesting and long story in that um, if you want, want to go right, right back, like the whole reason, like I'm in comics and stuck with it, despite the fact that it's like, it, it, <laughs> the comics industry is like, it's like a toxic relationship. It's, it's not, you only stay in comics if you really love doing it. Um, I know plenty of people who, and alien related guys who are just like, I'd love to, do that still but i just i can't um and then there's the aussie no, thing that, that uh you know that, that, what's the definition of a, of a storyboard artist it's a it's a failed comic book artist because you can't make it <laughs> <laughs> well, this, is, yeah, this is it see like i like I've, I've you know i've been talking to people about doing storyboards now as well so it's kind of like there's there's so much crossover and actually that that that's interesting because that sort of leads into uh how i got to here but if you want to trace it right back, like the first comic I ever had on a standing order was Aliens Labyrinth. Um, that's that one of my favorite. That, that's what that's it's basically Alien Resurrection and what it should have been to me. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, like that, that and Salvation 
are still like every, every comic convention or anything I've ever done any interview like this, like people will ask like, oh, what are the comics that you would say that sort of puts you on this, this track? And it will always be um, Dave Gibbons and Mike Mignola doing Alien Salvation and uh, Woodring and Plunkett doing Labyrinth, but Labyrinth like empirically, like Plunkett's art and yeah. the way he yeah. drew the alien and all the grime on everything was just Love like, oh, and you think, like every, everyone says it and people get really funny about saying it. Like they're kind of like, I hope I'm not offending you by saying this, but your work looks like I can see Killian Plunkett in your work. I'm like, that's, if you can see that, that's great. Because as far as I'm concerned, like when people come and say, oh, you know, we talk about aliens comics and we say Tristan Jones and we say these, and I'll always be like, well, I appreciate that, but like I'm only following in the footsteps of, you know, Mignola, Plunkett, you know, those guys. So the fact that people can see those things in what I do is is great. It's so far from an insult. Like it's it's oh, you know, no, it's, it's, it's meant to be high praise. So yeah, I was yeah. saying that today the yeah. other day. And and he racked off to to Star Wars Clone Wars to art direct and that sort of thing. So everybody yeah. I, I, I think, you know, speaking for others as well, everybody was like, oh Thank God for, for you know Tristan because yeah. you know we have we have. No <laughs> sort of I, I, I just hope maybe one day I'll be able to rack off the Star Wars. No, I'm kidding. But like, um, <laughs> the, actually, it was really fascinating because I've, I've just started taking in. We were talking about this off camera before, but I've started taking in commissions again. Um, one of the guys who's commissioned me like sent through an email last night. Like I just checked it before we came on, and he he got uh, uh, a. Com like a sketch, like part of his collection is a sketch from Plunkett before he was set off on the Star Wars track because people, I don't know if people are sort of too familiar with his background after, or background between Aliens and, and now, but he did a book, one of the first big multimedia crossover events that I remember happening kind of prior to The Matrix. Um, Star Wars did a thing called Shadows of the Empire which was this big kind of, they did a video game, they did toys, they did uh, books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's um, my Matt's favourite um, uh, rogue, isn't it, Matt? Um, Dash Render? Yeah, he's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a pioneer. He was, he was the very first uh, Han Solo, poor man's Han Solo, before all the others. Yeah. <laughs> so Plunkett, Plunkett did the art for that. Um, mm. but, and that, I think that's what and set that's him off. Was, was that what was that? Tag and yeah. Pink? Yeah, I can, yeah, was it? Yes, yeah, yeah, I he did. He did Tag and Pink as well. Yeah, but yeah. that's where his art style started sort of changing up. I think that's where it's kind of become a little looser and a little more in line with the Clone Wars stuff. Hmm. Um, because if you if you look at his work, like you can still see it in his work now, but it's definitely become more sort of in, in, in line with the, the Clone Wars visual. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so that kind of set me off on this path. And, you know, you, you kind of, when you start working in, in comics and all this sort of stuff, you kind of give up on, well, not give up on, but you sort of put it in the back of your head that you'll get to work or you want to work on certain things. And they're like a goal to work towards. And Aliens was, was pretty much always that. You'll get guys who were just like, oh, I want to do Superman or I want to do Batman or, or Spider-Man or whatever. And for me, it was always Aliens. Um, so sort of fast forward through, you know, I, I wrote for the Ninja Turtles for years, uh, did Ghostbusters, got to work on Ghostbusters 3 because of that. Um, 
and it, just tons of other things. But then I got to work on uh, Mad Max, the Fury Road comics. And that was through Mark Sexton. So this is where the storyboarding comes in. So do you guys know Mark Sexton, Matt and Dave? I know him well. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So for those who don't know who Mark Sexton is, he's one of the loveliest guys in Australia, period. But also he's pretty much responsible for a lot of the, the way Fury Road came out um, visually. So he storyboarded most of Fury Road. Um, and he put me in front of George Miller and George brought me up to Sydney to meet him at the studio before the film came out. I got to watch like a ton of the movie before oh. like the movie. And that was surreal. That was really crazy sort of seeing a lot of these big sequences not finished um, at the, the Kennedy Miller, you know, offices. Um, and then, yeah, like I did that, finished that job up. And there's an artist here in Australia called, her name's Nicola Scott. Um, she's been a tremendous, tremendous support to my career and just to me in general. Um, and she, she lived just right near the, the thing. So when I came up to Sydney for the premiere, like I was staying with her and I said, look, do you, you know, I got a plus one. Do you want to come? Um, and so she came along. We were talking about it after the film. And I sort of said to her, she said, all right, so what's next? You've done this. Like, what do, what do you, have you got anything lined up next? I said, no, I think I'm pretty much done with like creator, sorry, not creator and stuff with, with work for hire things. So, so licensed work. I said, the only thing I would sort of really do now is if they asked me to do aliens, like that would be the only thing left. And the only way I would do it, I like, I would want to write it as well as draw it. Um, but the only way I would write it, I wouldn't, the only way I would not write it is if, uh, they had a really, really great writer in, involved. And literally as, as I'm on the, the airplane, like waiting for the, the, the plane to depart Sydney to go back to Melbourne, I checked Twitter. And I've got a message from, from Brian Wood, who I didn't know at the time, really. Like, he just kind of started following me out of nowhere. Um, and I get this message from Brian saying, hey, just a heads up, I've been asked to do an Aliens comic and um, we want you to draw it if, if you're up for that. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is, this is a, like the most bizarre coincidence. I, like, like I, I rang Nicola right there and then saying, you're never going to believe given our conversation, you're never going to believe what's just happened. Um, and then what I found out was it was at the time, the guy that was running the aliens brand at Fox, um, he'd seen my work on a, like I did a, a mock-up kind of poster, which is now kind of doing the rounds again online. It's, it's, it's Kane looking into the egg and it's in the glass of the helmet. You can see the, you know, the, the awful on top of the, the face hugger kind of sliding back and the fingers coming around the, the thing just before the face hugger launches out. Um, he'd seen that and he basically kind of earmarked me to do work on comics when they started up again. So it was kind of this nice confluence of people who were familiar with my work thinking he would be really good to get on an aliens comic. And then, uh, 
we're working on de defiance for I think it was a couple of months before we actually got to scripting. Um, and that was a pretty wild time. And then that was, you know, the rest is pretty much history. And of course, Defiance went on to become, you know, a, a, a very beloved new entry into, you know, alien comic history. And it's something that is still yeah. you know, regularly read and talked about and, and really, really widely accepted by fans, much like Labyrinth. It's, 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 it's one of those things where, you know, it's a shorthand. If you say Defiance in the alien community, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I love that. Collaboration. It's, 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 it's a huge... Sorry. It had such a huge, it had such a huge influence on great artists like Greg Land, for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> artist. Very inspirational. It's just a shame that uh, you know, true talent doesn't get as recognised as you'd hope it would. I guess. Um, you know, you know what would be poetic here? Sorry. What was that? Uh, I was just going to say, you know, what would be poetic is, is, you know, if, if you know, with the Marvel thing and everything, like you could, you have an in, don't you? Because you could say, you've actually already seen my work. You've actually <laughs> Yeah. Well, this, this, well, that's, kind of, that's kind of the joke too, but like the thing that I've, I've I like I'm I, I thought about starting to do was like I would um learn how to do his signature and then just <laughs> all of my work just just put his signature on it so then maybe he'd kind of lose track of of where things were and, and that sort of stuff but, I mean look it's 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 one of those things like I, I I can't it's it's a real conflict that whole thing because like I know the guy can draw it just bums me out that what happened happened and you know it, it is what it is but you know that's that's led to other things um and it's it's that whole thing's kind of allowed me to kind of get a better focus on what i want to do creatively um and you know it's it's put me on a really good path and like you know the, the interesting thing about that is the aliens community was like super great about all of that um this is a whole tangent off from what we were talking about before like i'm pretty sure everyone knows what we're talking about now like the marvel cover thing but yeah, um, I, I, let me let me give a quick nutshell summary just for those who are tuning in who might not necessarily know i'll do this in, in, in four sentences or less so marvel declared eminent domain on the rights to alien now that they own the ip from you know fox or 20th century films um and as a result of that they're doing these collected editions that are republishing things that other people did in the past and the first collected edition was just announced about a month ago with a cover by greg land who has been bastardizing other people's artwork for marvel for 30 years now, including for, um, you know, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and many other big properties using still frames from pornography or from, you know, going beyond photo references into actually just Photoshopping people into things and then making it a recognizable likeness. And, and it's, it's been an ongoing problem for a long time. But what happened recently was they reused, well, he literally just copied Tristan's artwork via Photoshop yeah. into the cover of this first collected edition and also clipped in uh, art by another artist and also from a NECA display on their website and other things as well. And it was very, very flagrant and very offensive because uh, of very obvious reasons outside of just, you know, artistic integrity. It's also just this whole, it's sort of what we, what we fear because, you know, I mean, we're all Marvel fans. Like I, I, I read dozens of Marvel comic books every month. Like I, I love the company, but I'm afraid because it's so commercial and because now they're this huge thing sort of swallowing alien up that they're going to be doing more of this because they can kind of afford to get away with it. So we, we will circle back. Not to just in that, the but also like 
of attention to detail, you know, that like, the, right. they just, yeah, yeah sure, we'll, we'll put that on the cover, you know. Right, right. And they put their most, like, you know, uh, I mean, Greg Land does 12 or 13 covers per see. It's, it's crazy. He's all over all of their artwork and he gets away with it all the time. So I, I do want to circle back around to this later, but in case you're curious about what we're talking about, and Tristan, very, I think, kindly uh, pointed this out and not in like a confrontational way, but, you know, very rightfully so on Instagram and Twitter that this had happened and the fan community had this great moment where we kind of rose up with him and we were going through and, you know, looking up where art references might've come from and being like, this it is- It really was, yeah, it was, it was like amazing. It was like the detective work that went beyond my own was just incredible. Like I can't, I, uh, again, I can't speak, uh, like I, I can't find adequate enough words to get across how much the support that's come out over that period means. Like it's, it's, it's completely beyond description to me. So anyone who's seen that and anyone who's sort of taken part in it and noticed things and, and even just voice support, even that's, if that's just a like or a retweet or whatever else, like even that just, you know, means the absolute world. Um, but what, what, what you were saying, Matt, about like the, the detail of things, like I, th I think that's, that's one of the things that really makes, um, that really sort of sets Alien aside from, like a lot of other properties, maybe Star Wars might be the exception, um, is that, you know, people interviews, like they're fanatics about detail um, to the point that they can tell the difference between, you know, which artist is responsible for which particular suit, what the differences are between the suits. And, and you know, the, when I say suits, I mean like the alien designs between films, um, you know, all these things that people just kind of sort of take for granted on face value, you know, the alien fans will, will be able to tell you, they'll be able to see, I mean, there are books on, you know, the, the little, um, you know, the typography and, and everything that's used in the, the background and, and just to kind of flesh the world out and, and you know, signs on the ships. Yeah. Um, you, your own, you know, the art book you guys did of all David's drawings that are in the, the room in Covenant. You know, people who are into Alien pay attention to this stuff. And so for people not to notice when something's not right, you know, in, in this... It's yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it'll come out straight away. So, mm. you know... Yeah, I didn't realise the um, the thing about using that, that Aliens versus Predator, that, that three-quarter angle was so... Yeah, <laughs> the perspective, know. like Dane was saying, the perspective is just all over the shop it's like from a technical perspective it's just like yeah i actually, actually on, the, on, the, on the book oh sorry go on sorry sorry the cover so the i did a giveaway for my uh 40 years uh, 40 artist book right and the person who won it whoever was going to win it was going to get like a, a piece of work from me um and that 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 piece of work is going to be my version of that cover. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> right. I love that's it. Right. Just, yeah, I'm going to go, here's what it, if, if this is the composition you're going for, here's what I would have done. <laughs> oh, oh my God, that is know. so badass. I love that. <laughs> Before, it was just uh, like, you know, you can't, you can't beat them clearly. So you just, you know, you just got to roll with the punch and, and make the most of it. Unfortunately, totally. that's just the way these things are. You know, that's just the way these industries are. But anyway, that's my story. 
before we before, before we move on to Matt, I just wanted to say I'm not the big uh, comic book fan or just a reader. I just I've never historically been. It was the only comic I bought as a kid were the Aliens yeah. comics. Um, I will say that what I love about your work and Matt's work and Dane's work is that um, at, in terms of detail, like we've all probably seen versions of the Xenomorph. It's like, okay, it sort of looks like one, but it's ridiculous. It's not like they're not, they didn't take that drawing seriously. They didn't really yeah. bring out the darkness that, that, that horror that uh, was imbued by Giger and your work really does that. I'm not blowing smoke really, truly like your the, the, what you design and draw looks authentic even if it's your own it looks terrifying and to me that creature is fucking terrifying and i i hate it when i see it and it's not because people aren't paying attention to detail the the, the jaw is distended weird or something's off so it throws the design off because it's a it's a it's a tightrope walk that when you're drawing something like that if you get one thing wrong it fucks everything else up it doesn't yeah. look as that beautiful symmetry that Giger gave it, and you really uh, capture that. So, bravo to you. Oh, geez, man. Well, it's, it's, it's the thing, like, I, I think Matt and, and Dane will probably agree, too, is, like, at the end of the day, like, it's, it's Giger. Like, this, this thing is Giger's, right? Um, and there's no one who's done that creature better than him. Um, you know, I, I, I do point to like Mignola and, and, and Plunkett because they've brought little kind of tweaks of their own to it. And, you know, I, I, I'm still kind of finding my own little tweaks because I loved, like, there are bits and pieces that I, I love from various different designs. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, like the big chap is the, the, the one that I, but I love what Isolation did with the big chap in that it gave it the digigrade leg and, kind of gave it a blockier jaw which is kind of like what i really loved about the the what are they calling it now the protomorph from covenant is that what it's called it, it's been referred to that by uh, by fox uh, yeah. as that on social media channels but i think it's officially the xenomorph still but but, but uh, they, well, they let's, let's just call it like the so, alien the, yeah. the covenant alien the covenant yeah. alien so what i loved about that was it had this really big gross jaw and it was constant it had that rictus grin constantly um and I always found that really, really creepy and terrifying. So I was trying to kind of merge a lot of different things, but even now, like, you know, I, I'm still kind of evolving my own sort of way of drawing it because I keep finding- is, But that's in keeping with what what the xenomorph is, right? Like the, the, yeah. the other thing about this is, is that, um, that you talk about the tightrope walk and it's, it's balancing not just that, that and, and it's awesome that the fans are, are right on that stuff and everything, but where I think uh, our stuff differs a little is that, you know, it, it does come back to telling the story and what the yeah. narrative is and, and, and all of that sort of thing, whether, where, whether it's a design narrative or, but it's implicit in the alien itself, the adaptation, all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. That there is latitude there as long as you're still playing in, in Beavis playground of, beautiful and terrifying you know yeah. and, and you know he, he, the, the the shape language and all, all that sort of stuff and i think sometimes uh you know the fans go off and say ah, well this is ridiculous but um it, it it always works for the story you've got to work for the story as well and the characters and and that sort yeah. of thing 
and and you know like you can see with you know Dana and I love the Alien Three dog Alien to bits. And oh my god! And you'll find that like nearly all designers and artists love that thing, even if yeah. you know you you'll never get above Big Ten, but just you know and the All Star Castle that worked on Alien Three one, um, but but just how elegant that one was and you talk about the, the the animal legs and that sort of thing it just you know that seems right and yeah it, it because it's it's that uh giga sort of uh nouveau terrible or something like that yeah yeah um, i think i think i think the thing that i think really impresses me about the alien three creature is that it it does it does exactly what i think you know all of us who followed in Giga's steps try to do is remain faithful to that original design. Obviously, create a design that is in service to that story or how that story is being told. Um, and I, I, you know, the the tweaks that are brought, like I've I've drawn aliens just one piss farting around, where I've taken the dorsal tubes off and and you know lowered the the shoulder ridges and things like that to give it a, a physicality like the dog alien even though it's not like a dog alien like it's a, this is the, the what i'm drawing is essentially a bipedal thing but just with the the design attitude of the dog and even that like that looks it's it's kind of creepy sort of seeing it like that and you know i think that works so well because they have been so respectful to what's come before and they've come up with a design that is not kind of too far from that original creature. And I think like, you know, you were saying guys, like when you can tell when people are kind of not phoning it in, but, but they're kind of, you can tell that there's not as much kind of interest in Giga's work and what he was trying to get across with the design of the creature um then there is just kind of creating a monster and i think there's a huge huge line between the two of them when you've got like here's a movie monster that is famous and here is why that movie monster works you know there's there's a disparity between the two and you can tell which films kind of push things in which direction and which books push thing in which in in which direction as well sorry sorry go on sorry Oh, I, I, I just, uh, yeah, just just briefly, I'm um, speaking of movie monsters. I want to give Dan a chance to hop in here because uh, a he's connecting from his car, so I know it's kind of hard for him to be able to get a word in. But b because Dane has become over the years that I've been familiar with your work, it, just one of these names that just I, I just see and on so many projects that excite me and kind of blow up in fan communities. And you've just done so many incredible designs for conceptual art and, and elsewhere over the years. Um, and because I wasn't on the show last time you were on, uh, I would love uh, if you if you would mind. A little bit of insight into how you got affiliated with this franchise and what your background, because you are another one of these diehard, lifelong, you know, hardcore fans of this stuff, and I know that very well, and you can see it in your yeah. artwork. So, what's your background with with Alien? Uh, luck. Um, <laughs> that's about it. No, no. Um, obviously, you know, Matt and I tell the same story over and over again. It's, you know, Alien pretty much influenced kind of what we do as artists or what we want to do in terms of being storytellers as well. Not just, I mean, we obviously have nothing but reverence for Giga's design. We love it. But then, of course, the whole 
storytelling aspect. The Alien works so well because it is it is jam packed with narrative without having to be expositional about it. You know, the fact that there's a jockey in a chair when they walk in, no one says anything like this creature must have been a pilot. You can tell because we're in a cockpit of an alien spaceship. That stuff doesn't <laughs> happen because it's uh, it's so artistically uh, expressed. It's just uh, it's just so beautiful. But anyway, so I say all that just to sort of tie into the fact that I'm just a diehard alien fan and always considered it to sort of be the paramount of my career if I was to be able to contribute in some way. And then when uh, Covenant um, was headed to our shores in Australia, I just, uh, I emailed the art directors, all of them that I knew and just, just hustled as hard as I could to just be a part of it. I nearly missed out. Like a, you know, a bunch of concept guys got on, but it was really when the, when the drawings part came up, which at that time, as Matt will tell you as well, was only meant to be like 30 drawings or maybe even less 25. And, uh, we we're just going to do some drawings and see how that went. But then that became, Ridley sort of fell in love with that experience, which then luckily for Matt and I, that really locked us in. And then obviously knowing full well, I didn't know how Fox was going to handle the artwork. You know, I knew that there was every chance that, and I even heard that they threw some of it out after it was done. But of course, every human being that walked past would go, man, this would make a best, the best book. And I thought, well, if, if we don't do it, someone else will, and they probably won't do as good of a job as what we're doing you know so or, or as as careful a job i should say not as good a job but take as much care matt and i are invested we're invested because we're cult members of the exact cult that we're in in discussion with as we speak now and so um as soon as that opportunity came i, I like I, I drummed up a meeting with the publishers and then that kind of established us as well, established some sort of a fan base for our work, um, both together and individually. But then also, thankfully, it kind of means that we're sort of connected to the franchise in a in a pretty important way, which for me is just, um, it's mind-blowing. Uh, it's just the best. I, I remember after I finished Alien, I said to my wife, I said, oh, well, I can be done now. I can walk away and I don't have to actually. Uh, my, my, my prime directive really is to write and direct. I like making films. And so after Alien was done, I was like, oh, I'll never be able to top this. You know, Matt and I were hanging out with Ridley. Like, we were hanging out with him. And he even was sharing stories with us about Giga. And for us to be so far from that experience growing up, to then now be in the direct vicinity, this by proxy contact with those experiences was just magical, magic. So... Uh, does that answer your question? I forgot the question. <laughs> that answered it. That answered it beautifully. Yeah, I, I was just curious about how you sort of came into the orbit of the stuff, and 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 just it's it's funny because now I almost can't picture Alien without your imprint on it. And any of the three of you, I, I feel like you guys very much define what I think of when I think of Alien nowadays. Um, but it's there was a time when you weren't formally part of the part of the cult, and uh, it's incredible, man. So congratulations. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys pushed hard for that book too. I'm so yeah. glad you pushed hard for that book because it's just like I remember when the art the art of book came out for for um, Covenant. Covenant. I was kind of like, it's good, but like I, I like I I knew people on set of that film as well. Like I'd seen a ton of stuff that I probably wasn't allowed to have seen <laughs> it, as as things went along. Um, and like I'd seen, I knew of of bits and pieces that were sort of there, and I'm like. 
how is none of this in the book? Like, I know there is way more art than what is in this book. And uh, when repeating Matt the told me that... photos of, 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 you know, the, the onset stills and that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Well, when, when you were telling me that, the, you know, there was a possibility that this book was happening, I was just like, oh, please, God, like, please, mate. And then when it came out the way it did, I was just stoked. I was so stoked for you guys. It's just like it's hands down one of the best books like that's come out of the whole thing, like all it's of it. It's a piece of art. It really is a it's a it's a it's a wholly realized piece of art. It's one of my favorite books that's come out in the last twenty years of fandom. It really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Matt, Dane has talked a little bit of probably about your journey as well. Where were you in the picture when Dane was trying to get aboard Covenant? In pretty much exactly, exactly the same thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, what was it, Dana? Uh, yeah, I, I was saying I, I applied three times because, uh, or however many times, because I jump around departments and that sort of thing. And, and you know, so I, I was like, oh, he's my folio for septic. He's, he's my folio for art He's, you know, that, that, that sort of thing, just, you know, so that hopefully I could get on and stuff. And uh, yeah, we both knew uh, people on on the crew and and you know, supervising art director and and stuff like that from from before. So yeah, we were just doing what we could to to get in there. And then we had the little uh, uh, what do you call it audition, I guess, uh, where where oh, they yeah. said yeah, they draw draw this giga piece. Uh, but, but, you know, the whole thing was that it's, it's David and he's doing it with found materials. So we have to do it in, in, uh, in charcoal, not, not, uh, airbrush, which is obviously what Giga used, um, because it's within the story. Uh, and also can you copy this, uh, Rembrandt crosshatch piece and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we both did that and, uh, it was away. we went from there and, and yeah, that, that just, that thing about, you know, 25, 30 drawings and we're like, oh, okay, that'll be all right. You know, we can do that. <laughs> and, then, and then it's 60 and then it's 100 and then it's, you know, all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I still remember seeing Covenant in theaters and, and as soon as the lab is shown, being like, whoa, fuck, I want to freeze the frame right now. There's so much to take in. But with all of the sketches and the incredible dioramas, of the, it's just, that's just, it's just, it's- well, That's uh, mostly Dane. That's, that's Dane. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, so much to appreciate in that in that set. Yeah, we we had to portion out like to tackle it was a bit well, it was daunting easily. I look, man, I would have been daunted in the first place. First of all, we're working with Ridley Scott, so uh, you know, obviously we're we're confident at what we do, but um, at least for me as well, I, I felt like man, I was almost really depressed when it started because I was like holy shit, how can I leave a mark on this experience? I can't go through this without really um, turning it into something, you know, making, just really wanted to make a mark. But uh, once it started getting going and all these drawings were happening, it was like, oh man, there's so much stuff to do. How are we going to do it? And Matt will tell you as well, how many times I, I had super stressed, super stressed out and snap and, you know, just trying yeah. to... Yeah. Yeah, just try to sort of push this massive boulder up the hill. And so we sort of sectioned it out. I mean, we've told this story a couple of times, really, but, you know, we... Well, the, yeah, the three the three sections. I, I don't think a lot of people realise that David's quarters isn't the lab. 
Oh, that, yeah, that was right. Yeah, yeah. Where we were both going at it, and then, yep. you know, the lab was was coming up, and and, and um, the short drawings, of course, too. But, but uh, that's when we we sort of said, yeah, okay, we've got to yeah. pass all this out. Yeah. I I remember. It's funny. This is nice, actually, a bit of a trip down memory lane. But I remember in this script, I I sort of looked at the Elizabeth Shaw portraits as being the like that was the apex of the artwork. Like that's where it all sort of came to meet, and that was going to be the the biggest thing and I you know Matt's portrait work and also Matt, Matt has like not only uh, an in-depth amount of skill and ability and talent but also he's got a, a longer run-up you know so I just I was so shit scared of doing the portraits which I wouldn't have been able to do not definitely not as well as Matt of course and uh, Matt you know sort of took it on and he just savaged it man it was so great like i just love if you google any like if i'm going for a job now and i don't have a my website's down because it got hacked and you know i don't what? direct professional oh. people to but, uh, i was just russian bots man but I'm it was actually i think it was greg land one. wasn't it i think greg land is the one that did that <laughs> beautiful yeah man, and i want to be a part of that club now man come on <laughs> And then, you know, I, uh, David's lab, man, a lot of that was really just cranking out numbers because it was the biggest space. So, I mean, if, I always felt that if you really looked at any one picture, you'd probably know, like, well, that's not as really comprehensively realized as a couple of other pictures. But, I mean, I did dedicate myself to a couple that I really loved to make them great. But it was really about inflating the whole space, inflating the numbers so we could fill the whole space. Because when Matt and I would get on set ready to put the drawings up, Man, I shit myself. Uh, I was like, wow, how how can this fill this space? I've done ten drawings. That's gonna fill up nothing. It just <laughs> it just looks like piss in the wind, man. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much literal wallpaper. It's just amazing yeah. how the sets gobbled it up. Are you guys in still in ownership of any of that, or is all of it was not yours anymore? Did you were you able to take back any of those pieces? We, we've got a couple of things, but we, we've told this story too about uh, Ridley being way too canny for our liking because, you know, being an artist and all that sort of thing and, and saying, you know, uh, I'll make sure they know I want that and I want their Intelli's assistant and, and that, that sort of thing. And, you know, like not the print, not the print, you know, because yeah. uh, just because of the sheer volume of work, uh, like we did a few pieces that were from go to woe, full full size, uh, you know, um, you know, in, in the charcoal, the whole nine yards. But that was back in the early days, uh, like the botanical stuff and and that sort of gear. Um, but once it was apparent just how much work there was, uh, we we had to, you know, for, for instance, they wanted us to do it on the beautiful uh, handmade uh, Japanese paper and that sort of thing, the actual artwork. And we're like, well, that's not gonna work because the thing will be torn to shreds and all of that sort of thing. Um, so Charlie, the supervising art director and I, you know, took a trip over to see if these printers could do it on, on that stock and all that sort of thing so that we could just work with, with high quality, but 
you know, as fast as we could on regular paper and then print to that and that sort of gear. Just, just you know, those filmmaking things, just pragmatic things that you must do. And um, like Dana was saying, uh, a lot of that Frankensteining, like, you know, Photoshopping to, to take what you have, the, the hero stuff that you have and, um, you know, flip and reverse and, and cut and paste and all, all of that sort of thing to, to make new ones that, that, you know, Dane pretty much, uh, you know, for the lab and everything, knew would be out of focus in the background and and that mm. sort of gear. So just, just trying to stretch it. Like, like, just, you know, with all the love, but at the same time has to be on set, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny when people criticise it um, online or people have a go. I love hearing this and Matt. Oh, the egg, that person. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> had to go at you about oh why aren't there the things on, on the, around the bottom of the egg and, and and you're like yeah time dude yeah and i'm sure tristan would have experienced this well we're basically the the favorite saying of the general audience member is they'll they'll say this about a film they'll say they should have done it this way or why didn't they do it that way but the reality is there is no sort of they certainly not matt or i or the artist it's always there's a deadline. There's there's a literal yeah. economy yeah. behind the experience, and to uh, sort of to be a good or surviving artist in this condition really is about a mixture of the two, which is tricky sometimes, especially when you're invested. But you yeah. do have to realise yeah. you can't you can't finish a piece to the point that you think it's perfect because it's definitely there ain't time for that. That's that's just it, you know. Well, but yeah, and it's like, not that you don't want want to it's it, yeah. it, like i know we were there seven days literally seven days a week for the better part of a year hammer and yeah. tongs like god knows how many hours a day and all that sort of thing because we did want to be proud of it and we did want to do the best we could possibly do and and so, so yeah we couldn't have worked any harder but yes we, we, we had to set. We had the same thing with um, Defiance, actually, like really early on. One of the, like halfway through the first first issue, yeah, halfway through the first issue, um, we got asked to do this. Uh, they have a thing called Free Comic Day. It's kind of a big promo event for, for comics. They'll, you know, all the comic publishers will release like a comic that gets given away for free. And it's usually just like a, it's never really anything of any kind of substance. It's usually done to kind of, rope people into give them a taste of what they're not reading and hopefully get them on onto read a thing so we did this this thing for defiance um which was kind of sort of loosely meant to tie into things at some point but then the narrative all kind of as these things do as it went on it, it kind of changed a bit um but you know we were working to deadline like it was it was a tough deadline um and i had to they gave me an option to do it or to not do it because we were working to a tight deadline on the series. And I didn't think it was right that if we were going to make a promo piece for the book, that they have another artist doing it because then people are going to read the promo thing and then go, Oh, you know, that's what they're going to expect from the main product. And then they get something completely different. Like it just didn't make sense to me. So I, we dropped the comic halfway through the sec, the first issue um, to do this free comic day thing. And at this point, I had this thing in my head where we'd kind of come up with a, a Bible. You guys have probably done the same thing with like on Covenant with all the 
designs and things and kind of had a loose head cannon as to why things look the way they do and why this creature has these things or doesn't have these things and you know it's all it's all there in your art book like i can see the little notes as to the insects and the biology of things so before i knew any of the stuff out of covenant i all i had to go off was the new stuff that prometheus brought to the table so i had this whole thing where like the reason the stan winston design looks the way it does is because of this and the big chap exists in this way and like i was taking things out of ridley scott's director's cut and you know infusing that into things and so i'd already drawn like two full comics with um the big chap the original big chap design in there and then suddenly i was told no we can't have that because ridley wanted to keep the big chap under lock and key until covenant was done um, because I think at that point they were still figuring out what the, the Covenant alien was going to look like. Um, and then, you know, very, very last minute, like very 11th hour, like I think the, the free comic day book was going to go to print about a week from when I got told we had to do this. I had to change the big chap. Like the, the, I had to take the big chap out completely and redraw it as this other thing. Um, and it was super last minute. I was kind of like, fuck, I don't have time to like completely come up with a new design um, or to figure out a way to change this thing to make it, because we already had a narrative plot point for this particular, for the, the big chap in the comic. And that would be in the second issue where it was this creature that is kind of able to breed on its own and act independently without a queen. And, um, so it kind of became this thing of very last minute where you've got to go, oh, oh shit, okay, so I've got to change this very quickly. Uh, look, I like the head on that thing and I like the arms on that thing, so I'm just going to smash those two things together. And there's the new alien, there's the deadline met, go for it. And that became this whole kind of thing, but it's the same thing. Like I had a ton of people kind of asking, like, you know, because they had released art of the version with the big chap digitally, but the physical release had the redone work. Um, so there was all this kind of questioning as to why it was done one way and not the other. And it's like, you got to understand this is, it's, it's purely driven by a deadline. That yeah, was a creative yeah. choice that was driven by a deadline that we had to make. On, uh, I, I did uh, Happy Feet for George Miller and uh, it was pretty hilarious because like, it, it was like four and a half years from go to woe, from storyboarding all the way through to, to you know, the DVDs and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and because they were so behind schedule and that, and that sort of thing, uh, we, we were doing promotional images because, you know, for an animated movie, there's no stools photography and that sort of thing, you know, so you'd maybe get like a, a gray plasticky render of the background or, or whatever, but they needed promotional stuff. So, so sort of matte painting and that sort of gig. Um, but the funny thing was because of that timing and because of deadlines and they had to have these images, the actual design of the main character is completely wrong <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to how it was in the, in the movie because, you know, like, um, because the, the, juveniles shared their stuff and they end up end up being you know the the opposite black and white sort of thing in the face and that and that sort of gear but uh yeah all of the promotional stuff and and the, the coloring books or whatever whatever the hell yeah it's the, the main character looks wrong in in, in all of them <laughs> unless they've last second put a thing from the poster on 
and and even that stuff I worked on as well. And that was yeah, yeah, uh, just just sort of and, and you know if you were hoping for a render of that final character or something for for the posters and and um, so you were repainting all, all the 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 jaggy sort of you know ripping to you and and the the the, the first spazzing out and that sort of gear. But uh, yeah, boy, the realities. <laughs> But yeah, just to totally different to, to the actual film. It's crazy that the Defiant Xenomorph has gone on to be, I mean, the NECA released a Series 11 figure of it. It's, it's become like this, you know, I mean, you, you, got to, you got to design a new creature that has become canon, which is pretty freaking cool. So yeah, it was just like one of these kind of off the cuff things where it's like, shit, I need to change it. Uh, like, I like that and I like that instead of that. And if I had had like time to really think about it, like I probably would have done something a, a little, a little different. Um, but like, like you're saying, like what, what's been really fascinating about it was this kind of off the cuff thing. And this, you know, speaks to what Dane was saying about like, you know, what's really great about particularly the original Alien is that when that Alien rocks up, like I had all this internal stuff written that was approved by Fox and everything else as to why this creature was the way it was and none of that is explained in the book at all like it's it's there are visual cues that if you if you read things and if you look at things together then you go oh that's maybe that's what this does and that's how this thing works and that's why this thing is is alone on this ship and looks the way it does and so it's been really interesting seeing all the the conjecture and the kind of fan things that have come out of that and like i've been deliberately sort of sitting on particular things um one because i do hope to come back to the comics someday so i'm not going to put all my cards on the table but uh two because i think that's what's really great about alien is that you don't have all the answers um and i think that's even even when prometheus came out like even though it did answer some things there are like a million new questions um and same with covenant like covenant some answers a million new questions uh, and I think that's the beauty of Alien is that it's all in the visual storytelling and everyone, the great thing about art is that everyone kind of walks away with a different interpretation of things and seeing what people take out of a visual, um, I think is the best part of it. It's the most satisfying part for me as an illustrator. Um, just sort of seeing Can I just ask different interpretations. Just, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I was just going to ask, uh, you were talking about the crazy schedule and, and the free comic book day uh, one. Yep. Did they, uh, and, and you were saying before you actually got going on, on, pardon me, the issues themselves. Were you given some time, uh, like some, some sort of pre-time, as it were, uh, the, the two of you to, to work together, at, uh, like as development time, and, and then it was into the schedule of each each book and that no so it was very like go um right okay were, so that 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 was all built into these are the issues this is the book and, and yeah like prior prior to brian writing the scripts like i got sent the outline like i was i was thankfully i don't think this happens a lot i was involved very much at the start like brian and everyone at dark horse kind of knew that i was this monster when it came to the details of these things so 
they brought, they, they sent me the outline and I went through the outline and I went, well, this isn't going to work. This doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. You can make this more interesting if you do this. And now that Prometheus is out and Alien Isolation exists, you could do this. And that's where Amanda Ripley came from. Like originally, um, originally the book was going to be entirely about Amanda Ripley, but it was kind of, there were some things that were slightly off and then it became about this Marine. Um, and, you know, I, one of the things that I pointed out were all the inconsistencies I have with the second film and, you know, that all kind of became, so there was a development point. Are, are you a, a theatrical or, or, or uh, extended person? In, in which, in which, in, in Aliens, uh, yeah, yeah. I've only ever really known the director's cut. Yeah, um, right. The only VHS that I had available to me when I was, you know, when video shops were a thing was the director's cut. Um, right. And a friend of mine had a tape of the theatrical cut. I remember watching it just going, the most interesting stuff is gone. Like where's, where's <laughs> the whole, where's the whole bit with the derelict and everything else. And none of that was there. I mean, yeah, it makes right. sense, but at the same time, I just kind of found that because that was, the direct visual link between alien and aliens, like yep. not having that in there really kind of disappointed me. Cause I like, there was a thing on Twitter and not long ago where everyone was talking about like, you know, shots from films that, that have haunted them their entire lives. <laughs> and that, that first reveal of the derelict over the, the landscape in the original alien, <laughs> it's still like one of my favorite shots of anything. Like it's just, it's silent. You've got that wind and it's this long drawn out shot and the scale of it, it's just, you know, it, it really is like, you know, it's terrifying, it's haunting. Um, and not having that in Aliens kind of bummed me out. Right. Yeah, right. a kid. Yeah. So yeah, very, yeah, very I... much the director's cut. There you go. It's like even, uh, and the, uh, my agenda here is is we're talking about storytelling as well, and and that sort of thing. Um, I'm I'm a theatrical fan yeah. uh, because the stuff that was taken out, I think originally was taken out for a reason. And in terms of storytelling, uh, for me, all of that stuff is pretty much redundant. It actually yeah. doesn't bring anything new. But I, even though I love it. I'm not, I'm not a hater, you know, I, the, the Sentry Guns is just the most awesome sci-fi thing and that sort of thing. But you, I just cannot see that that actually ratchets up the tension and the drama and the stakes anymore. It actually slows it down and draws it out, which is, oh, it does. you know, it can be a different kind of tension, but I, I don't think you can argue that that scene is better because of the sentry guns than, than without. It, it, it always worked. And, you know, same thing with, with Newt and, you know, Timmy and that, that, that sort of stuff. And, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the one thing, and the reason I asked you the question is, is because, you know, I'm an old fart and I did see the theatrical when it came out as a kid and it just, you know, knocked myself off. And, and uh, but it's really hard uh if if you've grown up with the other version then then it's sort of you know it's so ubiquitous to you that that it's hard to have any sort of objectivity about it 
something at the yeah. end of the day. Not, I mean, that sounds harsh, but um, you know what I mean? It, um, and the other, I guess my other question is alien or aliens? <laughs> oh, alien. Like, yeah, this, like, this is a hands down, like, like thing for me every time. Like, and I, well, it's, like, it's, it's not exclusive. Jay, Jay, I, I think mean, Jamie and Patrick them. probably both know this as well. Like, I'm one of those people that goes alien is it mm. and then alien three is very close behind it and aliens <laughs> like I, I do enjoy aliens but i have a lot of gripes with aliens a lot of gripes mm. like i think the whole thing is an exercise in redundancy I, I, yeah it's the force yeah, awakens yeah, yeah. of alien but done yeah. really well <laughs> yeah. yeah i, but I like, don't know if you break I think... apart the logic I like I don't know like I'd be curious to know where Dane sits on this because I don't think I've ever seen where he where he sort of sits on aliens. But like the thing that bothers me about aliens is that like if you break all the time like if you really like pick out the timeline right there has been a, a colony on a planet that serves no real purpose for a colony to be on um, because it is not you know it's they're not getting any resources out of this thing and they're on a planet that in the first film they picked a distress beacon up from from deep space so deep that the computer woke them up and completely replotted their their navigation course they went down to this thing they picked it up the company knew what was going on because you had ash reporting it back and communicating so someone knew the whole time that this was going on and yet when aliens picks up even burke doesn't know that this is that the two are connected the, the, the sheer coincidence of all of this going on and them not hearing that beacon despite having a colony like a couple of kilometres away that would have taken, and they say it took them like 30 years or something to set up. So like the, the logic of a colony being there in the first place is just completely lost on me. Um, and when you start breaking it all apart, the whole film starts to fall apart for me. And that, that, like, let alone the fact that it is literally just alien with the volume turned up, like right down to the ending where they, you know, the only way they can kill this thing is by blowing it out the damn airlock. Um, it's beat yeah. for beat alien just with the volume yeah, turned yeah. up. Well, Tristan, yeah. this will be your last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure seeing you guys. <laughs> Phantom is going to eat you alive. No, it's fine. Uh, as we should probably move on to talk about the book and how that happened, just because I know you guys don't have a lot of time. Dane, I know you don't want to get in off car this one for, for forever as quickly as um, Dane is going to die of carbon monoxide poisoning <laughs> in his car right now. He's sitting there in the driveway. <laughs> but yeah, like let's. Uh, and I'll throw this out there for whoever. How did, how did the book? How did you guys hear about the book? Like, what what was that process? Matt and I got contacted at the same time. And uh, look, I mean, I really don't know how they put together a book like forty years, like, because they approach it like, look, we don't have a lot of money, and uh, but we want to do this thing. And then you sort of think to yourself, well, how good could it be? You know, if they, you know, if if they can't rally all these artists together, you know. But they did. I can't remember if they meant and a couple of other artists going in on it. And uh, I t look, I just sort of saw it as, I thought, well, uh, you know, if it, it's just good to be, can, to be associated with the franchise a little bit more again. 
And I thought, oh, look, you know, it's it's worth, you know, getting embroiled in it. And uh, I, I think as I went on, I must have learned that there were a couple of other artists. Tara Whitlatch, I remember. I remember that coming up and I just thought, wow, how did they do that? Like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. And I thought a bit of me was a little bit kind of FOMO, you know, I didn't want to miss out. Like, so I, um, you know, I, I can't remember what was going on at the time. I think Matt and I were both working on Peter Rabbit too, actually around that time. I can't remember, but I guess it kind uh, of evolved from there. Already, already. It might've been a bit before maybe. Yeah. Right. Extraction? Uh, oh God, I can't remember now. Too. But yeah, I remember yeah. I, I was working on Peter Rabbit in, in the daytime and doing the alien piece at night. <laughs> just to yeah. mix it up. I love, yeah. that. I love how you guys did Happy Feet, Peter Rabbit too. <laughs> All of these movies that are so <laughs> antithetical to this, but are really well done. I mean, it's amazing. Well, this is my, my one gripe with... Um, you know, because I love Max so much and everything, and I've done a lot of stuff for, for George over the years, but but not Fury Road. <laughs> so I'm so, so jealous of that sort of thing. I like that. I said, I want to make the coffee. I don't ever drink coffee, and it'll be terrible, but I'll make the coffee, you know. But uh, yeah, I yeah, can't complain too much because, yeah, done done a bunch of stuff for, for George, yeah. But it's just that fanboy thing. And, and, you know, bringing it back again to what Dane is saying, we love Alien. So, you know, uh, yeah, okay, they're going to say and do whatever with money or whatever. But, but uh, and, and same with, with the previous book. But at the end of the day, we both wanted to do it because we grew up on it. And, yeah. Well, I th if, if we could, it, I, I would love to take a moment and talk about your individual pieces a little bit, um, if that's if that's cool. And, and I'd love, Dane, I'd love to start with you because you have two of them in here. Uh, one of which is the front cover, which is just just absolutely incredible uh, chestburster, um, which is just uh, the color depth is just amazing, and it's a, a beautiful piece for the cover. So you can talk a little bit about that too if you'd like. But uh, your your piece that's in the actual book is this gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, uh, piece that reminds uh, that, that's framed sort of like the creation of Adam, as you say in the notes for it. Um, and yeah, I, it is it's the it's title just, page too. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's also the title page. It, it's just uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about about the piece that you did for the interior of the book and about how you approached uh, the the color of it because that is what just blows me away is the depth of luminosity and the way that you I mean when you think of alien you know it, it, at least when I think of alien I think very monochromatically I, I'm not an artist like you guys are so you know I wouldn't think beyond that but what I love about this piece is it's just it's almost uh, it's almost like shining off the page so can you talk a little bit about the piece some of the inspiration behind it and some of the some of the the techniques that led to it looking the way that it does yeah man um well uh First of all, like they all sort of came out at the same time and I was, I was working on them for some other reason. I think I'd taken some cool photos of something and uh, ever since Alien Covenant actually, I factored in a lot of, uh, you know, I have a lot of dead animals at home. I collect dead animals. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> he he and, puts uh, these on social media too. They're fucking they're beautiful pictures. Of I've dead actually taken a lot of photos of dead animals. I, I Yo, Jamie sends me pictures of dead birds all the time, and I'm like, Jamie, I, you're, I think you're fucking killing these birds. I think you're a serial <laughs> bird killer, and you're taking no. pictures. And of you know what there. the next step is after that? <laughs> yeah, it's, good. it's a slippery slope. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying. Hey, 
Yeah, have you seen Mindhunter? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I think I'd taken some pretty whack photos and uh, I, I was so excited to use them. And then it's funny because I didn't actually, I wanted to, you know, because as I said before, they didn't have much money. And I just sort of said, well, look, what about if I went over and above? I said, what would, what would the chances be of me getting on the cover? They actually said no. And they said, no, well, we don't control it. It just gets vetted by Fox. And so I kind of got, I was like, nah, you know, I'll just do it anyway. Who cares? I mean, look, the reality is after hours, if I'm doing a drawing, I like to do something gross anyway. And I just thought, well, how hard is it for me to just channel it into some more alien related stuff? It's a holiday. So I just did that. And then um, it actually, I didn't know it was on the cover until they announced the book. And I was like, oh, so it looks like they did put it on the cover. But then what also blew my mind was that it's also, you know, the first image in there that's an x-ray of the chest burst that's after that? Yeah. It's like you open it. That's also mine as well. Because um, I, I basically, I think I did like four or five. And uh, yeah, and look, I, I just basically went into photographic kind of reference and like the, the cover itself, I just love the idea of, because I, oh, that's right, no one cares. No one cares about the x-ray image. But I was really excited to do it. I love the digital glitchiness of the CRT monitor in Alien when you're looking at the uh, egg being, you know, you can, Ash is watching it move somewhere and you can't really tell what it is, but, you know, we're all sort of guessing that it's her being, that it's Kane being inseminated, you know? And so that big, grimy, shitty, VHS-y kind of appearance, I really wanted to do this X-ray thing. So that's what I did. I did that X-ray. And then I'd already basically had to paint the chest burster to do the x-ray. And I did it. Like, I rendered it to the point that it looked like it was a real chest burster. So then I was like... Frankensteining. Well, just, what's that? Frankensteining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to... I'll just do another one where you've got the x-ray, which is the image of the, of the chest burster taken from a, an x-ray machine. And then... I was like, what would it be like if you could stick a camera in a living person and have a look at that? And then that's where the other one came from. And I, I just got excited. <laughs> this sounds so dumb and arty, but I just got excited about foreshortening the tail by sort of blurring it so that there was a bit of dimension to it. And I just really wanted to try that out. And that, that's how the, the cover came into being. So <laughs> that's it. Well, they told me no as well about the cover. But they told me no because yeah, right. you'd already beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, man. That, but that's just so funny that it was. That they're, I guess they're kind of being cagey about it. But yeah, that's. That, I can't pick it out. I kind of feel like I'm dealing with entities in a deep dark abyss. And it's like sometimes you talk and you get an answer straight back. Other times you hear echoes from it, but you don't quite understand what's going on. And then other times you're just sitting there communing with the beast, you know, and. and that's, I don't know, it's really tricky to read how they sort of work. And I think, you know, with Disney taking over, I mean, everyone knows with this book, it got pushed back over 12 months, right? Is that, is that right? Yep. Like, yeah, twice. Disney, yeah, twice, twice. Because right. Disney right. had to vet the images. The, the actors had to vet the images. All, yeah. all likenesses to the actors had to be better or whatever it was. They emailed us, I guess. But I, I yeah, honestly... For, 41 years, book, 40 artists. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have the same ring, really. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, but then also, sorry, I'll just quickly get into then the one of uh, Kane touching the egg and referencing, um, you know, Adam. I just wanted to, I just thought I was being cool. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, oh, man. It's so good. Uh, thanks, man. I, I, I just wanted to do like a perversion of creation. I, I love the idea that, look, man, let's get nerdy for a little bit here. But where basically, I just love the, the, the utter density of metaphors that are packed into Alien. You know, the whole, Matt and I talk about this all the time. And I'm sure, obviously, Tristan, you, you pick up this chalice and hold it with such uh, uh, reverence as well that I'm sure it's not lost on you. The whole... The penetrative mouth, the facile dome, the the sexual uh, uh, innuendo, I guess. It's not nowhere near as fun as innuendos, but, you know, the whole um, metaphor of this kind of rapey experience and the nightmare of it, the suffocation, the um, strangulation. Holy shit, man. It is layered in these primal, fear-inspiring scenarios. And I just got excited by the idea of inverting, uh, subverting the, the creation thing, you know? The whole idea of Cain touching the egg before he looks in it and it touches back. <laughs> I just thought that was funny and cool. So that's where that came from. And as far as the colors go, I love the blue laser on top of the eggs. And no one, I, I'm always trying to find different things to explore, you know? That's where I did the, the chest burst, the shedding its skin as well, because... We know they shed their skin, we see it, and uh, we see it in every film effectively, but we never see them actually shed their skin. And I, I just, you know, I have snakes, I love snakes and reptiles, and I just wanted to do a thing where I could see the chestburster shedding its skin in a dark corner of some structure. And then, of course, I, I actually have always thought my color theory is kind of weak, and that's where, that's where I doubled down on color, because by, by virtue of who I am, I just like, black shit like dark uh (laughs) you know stuff and uh by doing the egg but i like i'm always trying to sort of well i'm always judging myself and always want to attack myself and so that's where i get i'll end up getting to a bright place because i'm trying to sort of go against my instincts and and challenge myself so that's where that strange colors come from and exploring the laser and the contrast of the blue to the orange and I'd also just quickly like to point out that the print in the book isn't as closely adjusted to, and I mean, you're never going to get what you, what you actually draw, but the print's quite different to how I experienced it when I drew it on the monitor, you know? So, um, I mean, when you look at it digitally, I can't remember if I've shared that image or not yet, but uh, if you look at it digitally, it's got a, obviously got a lot more depth and information, but... You know, I guess that's part of the process when you send things off to a printer and you're not in charge of what gets printed. So it's a little bit different, but still, I'm glad everyone liked it. I'm glad it got somewhere. Can I tell you my favorite bit? I don't know how many people noticed this because it's so tiny. Like, but I I love that you put it in there because it's it's like it's one of my favorite alien details is the water going backwards. (laughs) The water going up, like dripping up. Yeah. Like, I love that. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. Which which is one of those things that have kind of been abandoned, you know? Like, you've seen that one frame in Alien, and then everyone uh, kind of forgot about it, you know? But But they kind kind of do it very briefly in in Prometheus as well. Like, when the the Earths start bubbling, like, they they do that as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, yeah, again, I'm going back to my diehard alien fan roots. Like, I mean, you, you were talking about how I feel about aliens. And I've got to say, I, I unabashedly love that movie. But for me, it does go in the exact same way. It goes alien, then alien three, and then aliens. Now, yeah. I think a lot of people became endeared to the family dynamic that, you know, James Cameron put into aliens, which I think in terms of pleasing people, it's, it's actually, it's a great story to be told. It's great to go that route. But the, the nihilism of Alien 3 to me is in keeping with Alien. The, the cold, hard uh, brutality of this, this nature that is alien to us and its merciless brutality. Yep. Right there in Alien 3. It's, it's all there. And I understand the general public, they don't like that shit. I get it. They, they want happy endings. I completely understand. But I, that's why, and Matt is in the same boat, and I don't want to speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he's going to sing the same song where the third movie for me, I just, I see how it doesn't work. I see how, you know, narratively there's problems with it. Absolutely. But I love it. I love it. They won't kill it. They might kill you just for having seen it, but they're not going to kill it. That is crazy. That is horseshit. They will not kill us. When they first heard about this thing, it was crew expendable. The next time they sent in Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're going to care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space? You really think they're going to let you Interfere with their plans for this thing? They think we're... We're crud. And they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's, that's died. Not one. I think one of the things with Alien 3 that I think a lot of people don't realise is that I think what a lot of people consider... Like, when people talk about Alan Ripley being this kind of iconic, you know, tough as nails, you know feminist icon character you know like i hate i really do hate the term but strong female character like she is she is the prototype for that like people talk about sarah connor but it's absolutely ripley but what i think wait, a lot wait, of people I'm overlook chime in. i have to i have to say i'm passionate about this i'm sorry Tris. i gotta say the great thing about ellen ripley man is that no point is she ever described as a strong woman because yeah. this is the great art of storytelling is that she's a fucking strong character. That's why I don't like that term. I don't like the term because it's just like, why, like, why does it need to be singled out like that? Just write good characters. Well, she was a you character know, before she was, she was who she was before yeah. there was commentary. What's happening now yeah. is you have all of these characters coming out now with commentary attached to them. She had no commentary. Yeah. We accepted her. or We yeah. didn't, we did. And now you have all of these that's, other that's characters. Who are great, what I who really love about Alien Three, what I love about Alien Three is that's where that really hit home. Like she yeah. is not the Alan Ripley that people like put on a pedestal, really, until like the final final act of Aliens, and really, like once she comes out of like once she really kind of realizes what's going on in Alien Three, because once she doesn't, once she realizes what's going on in Alien Three, she gives zero fucks and she's yeah. just like no like that's it so yeah. i think that character that everyone knows of and puts on a pedestal and points at as being 
you know, this, this kind of iconic character really only came into complete being with Alien 3. And I have to, man, excellent call. And I have to, I know Matt's dying to chime in as well. But I, I have to, <laughs> I have to say that, um, uh, you know, in recent times, I, I just, I mean, art is totally at risk of being uh, fully turned into an agenda tool, you know. And I mean, I know it's always been used in such a way, but I would love, I love to just go back to when stories could be told earnestly based on the merit of how good that story actually is. And then, yeah. of course, someone as as fucking brilliant as Sigourney Weaver just carrying the mantle at no point saying, I'm going to be the baddest bitch that kicks all the dicks. It's not, it's not how it is. She's a real person who happens yeah. to be super strong and who happens to, in fact, be stronger and smarter than everyone else on board the ship, period. Yeah. And at yeah. no point is it being crammed down our throats because... Uh, there, there's some kind of a purpose point, but it's just great storytelling, which it does remind me of Sarah Connor, you know, like by the great thing, I mean, like, I'm so passionate about this, Sarah Connor, right, you know, starting off in the first Terminator, which I love the first one over the second one again in the minority. Yes, me too. But, yeah, <laughs> but it, it, and again, the thing is, it's just so much grimier, grittier, and I love seeing Sarah Connor go from a mum who's basically being protected by a man to being to basically embracing her role and her, you know, courage and not not hating on the masculine elements of herself, but subverting the strength of that of the maternity the, the maternal strength that she has that's innate to her, then becoming this uh, crusade man again makes her, you know, I don't need to be a feminist to love Sarah Connor. I just need to be a huge fan of great narratives and character to just absolutely fucking love them love them hopelessly so matt uh what about you i know we're talking about a bunch of stuff right now but (laughs) how did you approach the book we'll get back into ripley later or whatever oh yeah yeah. or whatever you want to say i don't want to stifle the only little note on on that stuff about ripley and and women and men and that sort of thing is that from my hazy memory that a lot of those characters were interchangeable to start with you know yeah. that, uh, mm. and and you know whether it was a man or a woman wasn't as important and, and that the ripley what what was she by just in one of the early drafts or something but it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a thing and they found that sigourney was the person for that and that that's that's my recollection anyway um which is another nice thing that that it was about people you know, and, yeah. and it was about characters. But yeah, with the book, um, yeah, uh, pretty much the same story as Dane, I guess, uh, after the other book, uh, we were contacted about doing this. And uh, yeah, so I thought um, there'll be plenty of fantastic stuff that's really true to the, the Zeno in the film or, or photographically you know, realistic and that sort of thing. So um, a lot of the time, like uh, when, when I was doing Star Wars stuff, you can never beat Drew Struzan. So, you know, in terms of photo ref and, and that sort of gear. So I like to do, it, it might not be as, as great, like, you know, in, in terms of likeness and, and that sort of thing, but I like to do something dif- different that we, we haven't 
seen in the photos and, and that sort of stuff, something that's character or, or, or story or whatever. So that's why for the alien for this book, um, I thought, yeah, cool. We, we haven't seen the juvenile version in, in the original film. We didn't see the juvenile um, after, you know, chestburster and that sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, the next time we see it, it's, it's the adult and that sort of stuff. So I just thought that was a fun bit of license to, to go and do the juvenile. So I, I wanted to be true to, to Giga. I, I wanted to, it, to have that sort of feel. Um, and originally I was thinking about a triptych, but that doesn't work um, just because of the, the, the religious stuff and, and that sort of thing, because the, the themes of that flowing through there. Um, but that doesn't work for a book, so I made it a, a diptych. So you'd have the the um, uh, the paper doll thing with the arms joining and all of that sort of thing, and might be nice to flow through from one side to the other. Um, so that that was pretty much it, I think. And uh, but I must admit, uh, and uh, Dane, you, you talked about it a touch. Uh, and, and I, I want to know from you, Tristan, as well. But to be brutally honest, I was devastated about the printing uh, because it's meant to be dark. Like that one on the left is pretty much supposed to be a silhouette. And the way it's printed, whether it was pre-press or in the actual printing, if it was digital or whatever, um, the above black stuff has really been raised up. And you can see all my underneath pencil stuff that <laughs> should have been hiding in the shadows and that sort of thing. So I, I, I was so, uh, man, yeah, yeah. Was, but let me, let me, let me, let me make you feel better. <laughs> like truly that piece is fucking amazing and it's terrifying. And the, I think you sent me a, a, a teaser of that image a year ago before the book, you know, was even supposed uh, to come no, out. No, I did not. I did not do that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, when it was didn't. supposed to come out, yeah. Yeah, um, it, it really, like, I, when I think of Giger, when I think of his work, what inspires me about the xenomorph, and when I hear Ridley Scott say, I think the, the creature's done, then I see work like yours and Dane's and Tristan's. It that, that thing is not done. That is the scariest thing I've ever seen. And your vision of the juvenile is just breathtakingly horrible I and terrifying. So... Like it might be lighter. I don't. I didn't see your original. I mean, you sent me that thing, and well, that's. Thing, I guess, I, yeah. And I I love it. Like it's one of the like I want like a fucking forty inch by <laughs> however poster of that on my wall. It's really it's one of the best versions of the creature I've seen since Giger. And I'm not Thanks. blowing smoke. Really I lie to you. Thank you. No, don't Thank feel you. too bad. And I love the way it takes advantage of this of the format of the book, which we we touched on in a previous episode uh, where we were talking about the book. But when when people buy this, if you don't already have it, it's it's a, it's huge. It's an enormous book, and um, that's and there's pretty a lot funny of to me as well because Dane and I were fighting about that on on the David's book, and because uh, uh, I'd done my homework because they were saying you know it's it's the visual diary like last time around, and they were saying uh, and I said what do you think that means because I knew what it meant. To them, uh, yeah, and they were saying like about A five. Sorry. Yeah, they were thinking of like a girl diary. Yeah, yeah. Like, be a diary, like A A five yeah. to A four. 
David's drawings with a little heart over the eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I diary. should do that one. <laughs> but yeah, so um, and, and I, number I knew... and over and over again. <laughs> Stay again, sorry. No, I just uh, it's got like Shaw's phone number written in it over and over again. And, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, but yeah, so you know, and, and I'd, I'd like I say, I'd done my homework, and and I said you already did the the uh, the Buffy book, and and that was your in universe sort of thing, and rah rah rah, and that's this big. Can't we do that? And they're like, oh, this is so much more. I'm like, do less pages, you know. My background is pre press and advertising and and graphic design and all of that sort of thing. And, on this stuff a lot so i'm probably more upset about how that thing printed than most people would be and of course they don't know what the original is and that and that's fair enough but yeah the size was pretty funny after the whole battle last time to see this big ass thing and and bang with dane with it with the red and everything um yeah yeah so it's it stands out like the dog's bollocks as they say <laughs> but it's it's so great that this that the spread across these two pages is a really monumental piece of I mean it's huge and it looks yeah. it looks amazing. It, it's funny, <laughs> now, now that you mentioned the you know the the black point being moved and stuff on the left side, I can see what you're talking about. I don't think mm. it 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 does anything to detract from the composition of this peach, which I just think is extraordinary. This is this is one of the ones in the book that I start looking at and then I like realize that 15 minutes have gone by and I'm like whoa oh man I'm like getting <laughs> completely sucked into it because there's so much detail and the way that you sort of that you fetishize certain elements of the morphology of the creature that the tubes kind of start propagating out of everywhere and you get this sort of this like you know egyptian mm-hmm. sort of a thing where um it looks oh, almost sure. like paintings well, that's Giga, that egyptian thing. Yeah. yeah it's very ancient and very reverential and very frightening and very and very sort of religious i think in, in a way in, in that there's a, a real well, it's reverence. it's like an icon painting yeah Exactly. Um, I just want to ask one more quick question about it before we move on to Tristan's, um, which is that, uh, so, so when, but I looked at it before I'd read your description of it, and I noticed that the xenomorph looked different, that the proportions were slightly different, that there were some sort of softenings of things, but, you know, I thought that was just sort of artistic license. Then when, you, when I was reading what you were talking about, that it was a juvenile, it really hit me uh, that you captured that, I think, extremely well, and also that I had forgotten that that was an unresolved visual question. That was something where the first few times I saw the movie when I was a kid, I was like, wow, I wonder what it looked like between, you know, when it, when we, when we, you know, the chest were ran yeah, off yeah, and yeah. we finally found it again. Um, and this uh, is just a, a bit of fun and it gives you license at the same time. Yeah. So uh, I'm just asking, I guess, what, what, what made you uh, try that and what did you do to bring out this sort of in between aspect of it? Because sort of like Tristan, this was a chance to design a new creature in, in a way, right? So, so how did you approach that? Uh, well, it was just those both things. It, it, it was, uh, how can I do something different? And, and that I'm still honoring the thing. I'm not departing from, from it, but it gives me license at the same time. And I love going into that stuff of, uh, okay, then, um, you know, if it is a juvenile, uh, maybe, uh, you know, a lot of that structure is, com- isn't completely dry and chipness. It's still a bit wet and it's still forming, but we're getting all the striations and that sort of thing as we go from the burster to the adult and, yeah, it, it just, as long as you have, you know, the proper reverence for Giga and you're in that shape. Like, it, it's that thing of, I was reading something the other day about, you know, and, and uh, call back to, to what we were talking about with Tristan and the cover, that there's copying and there's homage or, 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 or being inspired by, like, one 
one has reverence for the original, but it's it's not a photocopy or anything. And you know, yeah. you're, you're trying, you're showing your love for it, um, but it, it's a, a bit more um, humble in that you know you can never top what Giga did. So so yeah, you're just paying paying respect to it. I guess I don't know. That's that, that was that, that, that that terribly point. articulated, but anyway. That that point was one of my favourite things that would constantly come up in in the the shadow of the Greg Land thing, was that mm. like every now and then you get some dickhead that would wander in and go, it's all just Giga anyway, um, and it's like you're kind of completely missing the point of like artistic integrity, man. Like we under like everyone who works on Alien knows that Giga is essentially like the god emperor of this thing. And we're all just following in footsteps of this fucking divine creation that he's come up with. Um, and no one's ever going to be able to top that. No one is ever trying to top that. And everything that we do and every artist that I think has come on to do Alien, I would hope, is is doing it in reverence of that. And as you said, it's, it's homage even indirectly to what he's sort of put on the table beforehand. And you're right, there's a huge distinction between just outright ganking someone's work and, and, you know, being reverential and referential to, to what's come before him. Totally. Um, um, as we, so uh, gonna, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to segue to Tristan again in, in terms of his piece and that, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it was how, how was the colour for him and like the printing for him and that sort of stuff. Well, see, like this, this yeah, I, um, I have terrible colour theory. <laughs> I have no colour theory at all. Um, like, I'm a black and white guy. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. Like, you know, basically from the get-go creatively, like when I, was, when I was a writer, I started writing for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and that was for Mirage and Mirage for the guys who created all that and they only worked in black and white. So I could only write for black and white. So all through my career, I've only thought, in black and white visually. Um, and I've always kind of been of the idea that if you can make it look, in comics at least, if you can make it look good in black and white, then it'll look great in color. As, you know, assuming you get a, a, a competent colorist, I'm very grateful that I've, well, I've been Well, there are lots of blacks and, you know, that like hard yeah. panels of blacks and that sort of thing that's different, but overall, yeah. Um, I, I've been super fortunate in that, you know, all the colorists I've worked with have been super talented and, Amazing. you know, very rarely have I ever had to give any sort of notes on, on how things should be. And more often than not, I'll kind of give them distinction notes at the start. Like I just, I just did a, a piece for a predator box. Uh, a, I, a I was box. just about to mention it, but just knock my socks off, man. I know Dane will help it too. Well, there's, Thanks, but there's one that hasn't been seen yet. And the reason it hasn't been seen yet is because there's a secondary reveal that NECA hasn't put out there yet. So there's there's actually like, and I'm not speaking out of school here, but there's an alien that is on the cover of one of the Predator boxes that is coming down the line from NECA that they haven't revealed yet. Oh, I smell a scoop. Um, <laughs> that's all you're getting. But th this, this particular this particular image had a lot going on. So obviously, like I would give notes beforehand to the colorist saying, "This is this. This is this. This should be like this." And here's the reference for this. 
go crazy otherwise. Um, so, you know, with, with my piece in this one, it, it was kind of interesting because I think, yeah, when, when I saw Simon, Simon Goff is the colorist I work with on, on most of the alien stuff um, these days. And I, I do recall it looking a little bit darker when I looked at it on my monitor, but at the same time, like I know because that's his job, like he is a professional colorist. He knows what the color settings need to be to look in print, how they should look or how, how they look on his computer. So I completely trusted what he was doing. Um, the only thing that was kind of weird for me was actually the size. Um, because I'm so used to drawing at a big scale that gets shrunk down. For the Do you standard draw it one and a half? What was that? Do you draw it one and a half? Well, uh, it's sort of, it's, it, it's academic now, I guess, with digital, but yeah. it says that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, the, the, the rate at which I zoom in sometimes is, is ridiculous, but that's me being a detail freak. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know how big the book was going to be until I saw it. And then, yeah, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's, that's like not the scale I was expecting. I mean, it looks cool, um, mm -hmm. but because I'm so used to it being smaller, it was kind of interesting looking yeah, at it sure. at that yeah. scale. Going into that piece a little more, um, Tristan, we were talking earlier about Killian Plunkett, who I agree is one of the ab absolute heroes of alien art. Um, and something that, you know, obviously you both have really intricate line work. You both have a lot of character in, in your in your art. But something you both do really well, I think, is the compositional perspective that you take. So a lot of the things that you see in, in Labyrinth, for example, are like sort of Dutch angle shots from down low or kind of like yeah. they're, they're sort of they're off they're off kilter a little bit. And something yeah. that I love about every piece you do, whether it's, uh, you know, Velociraptors in the grass or Xeomorph, is I always feel when I'm looking at it like I'm actually in the scene watching it unfold from some kind of a strange perspective, something which is something I just really appreciate about your art. And it always really hits me. And in this piece in particular, I just, I want to ask you, how did you come up with, uh, it, so basically the, the perspective is just on the ground, essentially, like we're sort of hiding and there are things visible in the immediate foreground that are out of focus a little bit. And it really lends to this, this idea that we are sort of hiding from what we're seeing. And it's yeah. freaking awesome. So, so can you talk a little bit about the decisions that went into that? Like, how do you plot a, a drawing like that? Um, I... I like that you picked up on that because that's like, I, I went through film school. Um, like I don't really have any background in like visual or fine arts. Um, I, I, I went to school originally university to be a puppeteer and that went oh. into film and television. Um, so I was kind of looking at things from like a special effects guys point of view a little bit. And then I kind of wanted to get into writing and directing. Um, but I always had real issues with like unrealistic angles and unrealistic shots. Like I never really liked, I, I'd always find that uh, films could yank me out of a narrative if the shot was contrived. Um, and it's something you see a lot of in a lot of big special effects films nowadays where they kind of, you know, things like Transformers and big kind of destruction films where like, you know that there's no way they could have got that shot with a camera. Um, and it kind of yanks me out a bit. Uh, and I think one of the things that I really, really like um, 
about Alien is that all the camera angles are like eye level camera angles, and it, it really does do a lot to put you right there in the room. Um, and there's another filmmaker who I really like, um, Gareth Edwards, who did Monsters, and he did the first Godzilla, the and legendary Godzilla film. Yeah. And Rogue One. And Rogue One's an example because there are, there are some amazing shots when they do that final battle on the beach. And there's one in particular where they're, they're storming the beach. You've got stormtroopers and you've got rebel troops and they're all shooting at each other. And there's this one amazing shot where um, you see the AT-AT transport walkers coming through the tree lines. The palm and trees, huge yeah. Explosion. Yeah, and you see the palm trees kind of split and it's, it's like you are right there looking up at these things coming over and it's like it's it's kind of at one in in one breath it's kind of a great nod to the first time you see them on the horizon in empire strikes back but seeing them right there like that in that context they're terrifying they're absolutely terrifying um and all of the shots in godzilla are the same they're all shots from uh and he said this like i've heard him say it in, in interviews and commentaries in that he doesn't like shots that you can't get from a person's perspective because it it does that thing that I was complaining about before where it removes the audience from experiencing it the way a person would experience that. So you're put in the shoes of someone in the narrative by filming it that way. And that's kind of something that I've always kind of, I think sort of subconsciously, done myself and then when i heard that put into words i'm like yes that's it that's exactly what i like about all these other films as well so yeah like i i i even when i'm doing comics like i would see scripts that would call for like high angles like bird's eye view type stuff and i'm kind of like no no because that breaks continuity and people have to think about where they are and it disorients the audience and it's just like if you just pick simple shots you can do so much with that and you know like like godzilla right like one of my favorite things and i think this might actually be where it comes from too one of my favorite things and one of the most terrifying things is those shots at a distance uh, like from a distance in all godzilla films where you see him coming in the far distance and already he's towering above the buildings in the horizon line and you get this really great depth of field where you've got people on your level running past the camera and fleeing. Um, and then you've got the building lines and then you've got him in the far background. Um, I think that kind of depth of field also informs a lot of how I approach a, a visual. Um, the rap, there's a raptor piece that I did from, there's a, like a Jurassic Park piece and the, it goes back and back and back um, and even comes forward. And I did, you know, there was a drawing I did not long ago of a, a like a knight with a skull, like a, you know, he's like a, a skeleton knight. And he's kind of holding a, a spear in one hand, kind of like the perspective I'm doing now on the, the camera, even though I don't think people are gonna be able to see this, but the hand is blurred, he's not. And then the immediate kind of background is a little bit blurred as well. So I like what Dane was saying earlier, like I love being able to play with depth of field 
um, at those two things, depth of field and um, putting a person in that environment that they're looking at, they're the two kind of key things that I, I try to play with with all of my imagery. I just want to say as well, like, and the thing that I love about your work, Justin, is you're talking about colour theory, you know, not being a strong suit and everything, but the thing about being a line work guy, being so cut clean about how your ideas are expressed, I mean, mm. I am intimidated. I hide a lot of shit in Merck, you know, whereas there's nowhere <laughs> to hide. That's why you so much black. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But there's nowhere to hide, man. What you do, there's nowhere to hide. Your dimension, perspective, uh, the ideas, they've got to be crystal clear because you've got nowhere to go. And then yeah. the with you and what yeah. you will do, again, is then replicate it in the next frame for the next four or five, six moments where a gun is going to be the exact same gun, even if it's made up, even if it's a, something that we've never seen before. In your mind, you've done the work to know what it's going to be like and you'll fit it in and it'll just be perfect. And I mean, for me, that's A, gorgeous, B, intimidating. Like I just go, oh man. I, I, like I would love to color one of your pieces. I would hate to have to try to draw it because <laughs> I might hold you to that one day, man. <laughs> <laughs> the colorist I, oh, yeah, I always feel sorry for is, um, uh, oh God, now it's gone out of my head. Um, Oh, jeez. Um, Rusty and Big Boy. Uh, Rusty the Boy Robot and Big Boy, um, hard-boiled. Um, the guy with Jeff, Jeff Darrow. Darrow. Jeff Darrow. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, I, like, Are you not I a actually, fan, I love him. I love him. <laughs> of course, but, bro. You know that. Like, I, I saw those original pieces at Dark Horse uh, when, when I went one time, and... Uh, they were pulling it out and, and it's on tracing paper and stuff and it, and then you'd fold out another bit that he glommed on and then another bit and that sort of thing. But just the intense detail, uh, yeah. all, all I can ever think is, God, you know, his colourist is a saint and, and can you imagine trying to divine one thing from another and that, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, colour colouring-wise, holy crap. I've, I've had to start matting, like, to, to save time and time and stress. Like, I've had to start, like, flatting, like, a lot of my imagery because it's like, I know this is going to be a nightmare because there's a lot of guts and a lot of bits flying everywhere, so I'm going to have to mat this out for him so right. he doesn't have to freak out about that. Oh, that's very lovely of you. Yeah. kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I don't. I know we could probably all keep talking. It's been about two hours. Uh, oh, jeez! <laughs> and I don't want to keep you guys any longer. Um, so, unfortunately, we we should probably end it here. But I just want to again thank all of you, Tristan, Dane, Matt, for coming on, for talking about your work, for talking about um, all of it. Ripley, how important she is. It felt like an episode of Perfect Organism, like uh, the things that me and patrick always talk about so thank you guys for taking the time um we'd love to have you back on eventually i i'm curious what your future with the with alien is going to be certainly in light of certainly with you tristan in light of alien <laughs> to, to, to marvel i mean the world has changed um yeah you know, like i say he's already dead. 
<laughs> well, no, no. Like this, this is this is kind of the thing. Like I'm not. Uh, there, there are other things. Like I, I literally just had something kind of presented to me that I'm kind of like, oh shit. Maybe yeah, that could be cool. But like I, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think Matt and Dane both know this as well. With with these kinds of creative industries, when you don't own a thing and when it's corporately owned, you kind of just the whims of those things. And you just you know, if you're a creative person, you've got things that you want to do you focused on your own things and you just kind of got to let go of certain elements of those things because they are at the end of the day, they're corporate entities. It's like, they're not owned by you. Um, and you know, I'm just very grateful that I got time on that. I would love more time. I'm sure all of us would love more time, but I, I got to do it. And even just that is, is amazing. And the fact that I still get to do it through the toys is, is, is great in itself too. So I, I, I at the end of the day, like I can complain, but I can't. You know, they say they say never meet your heroes, but I gotta say this has been pretty fucking awesome. So yeah, thank you. Guys. <laughs> thank the world of you guys again. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys. All right. Thanks, Patrick. Have a good one. Thank you all. Bye. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having us. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit. PerfectOrganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit PerfectOrganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.